0: So let's just start by saying that doing Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer back to back was a mistake. Was a really really poor decision? Yeah. Cuz yeah. I I'm think just we blame really the sad. fans to be honest and yeah, I'm super depressed. Yeah. So <laughs> we know that we're going to get back into some some heavy material here in a second, but let's lighten things up a bit before we get into that. What's uh what's your favorite pizza topping? That is both light and making me really hungry. So thanks for
1: that. (laughs) Um, You got it. It's been a long day recording. I know. I'm like, ooh, now I need pizza. I, well, in my usual form, have a terrible time picking just one. But I would say, generally uh, speaking. You can do the best toppings. Like, what's your favorite kind of pizza? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think my favorite kind of pizzas are definitely, like, I'm definitely a meat eater on a pizza you know a what I mean like, I don't yeah. feel like yeah I'm a carnivore on the pizza I don't feel like pizza is made for vegetables I don't know what <laughs> you people are doing like let's just commit to the fact that this is going to be terrible for us you know <laughs> let's just do it right that cheese that yeah. meat like get her done so yeah definitely more of a carnivore pizza pizza person but I will say I I know this is blasphemous to some but I I like a, a pineapple and
0: Canadian bacon pizza like I'm into yeah. It. True Hawaiian style? Uh-huh. Is it is uh-huh. it Hawaiian style with Canadian bacon?
1: I, they always call it Hawaiian, but I don't. Yeah. I don't know if that can I feel like I feel like the Hawaiians would disagree. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I love a Canadian bacon and pineapple. It's delish. I know that people. That's very controversial opinion, but
0: I don't care. That's an excellent choice. I'm what from Jersey, yours? so, uh, I, I we're two for two because I too enjoy ham and pineapple mm-hmm. on pizza. I think mm-hmm. I think the sweetness is is pretty good. So it's unhealthy enough for you. Why not have a ton of meat on there or why not have it basically be a dessert? I'm fine with both of those options. Oh my God. a dessert pizza. Yikes. (laughs) That's I have a controversial uh, opinion that those are terrible. Continue. Okay. Well, no, I I just meant the sweetness of the pineapple and the Mm, ham. It's -hmm. almost like getting, you know, a sugar with your pizza with your Mm, already mm -hmm. tomato paste sugar. But I think my favorite growing up in Jersey is like sausage and meatball. And a lot of people th- don't. They think that those are like the same thing. They don't realize that meatball is like slices. It's different, of and that is delicious if you get it from a place that knows how to do it well.
1: I was going to say, I think that's a place specific kind of thing. Like you shouldn't get that from mm-hmm. like Pizza Hut. It's not
0: going to be the same, right? For sure, right? Yeah, but can it's we a ag- ground beef? A hundred
1: percent. But can we agree that a dessert pizza is an actual monstrosity? Because what have you seen the ones that are like? Like it's like a s'mores, but a pizza, or cinnamon and chocolate chips, and like I've seen them do crazy things
0: to pizza and
1: make it a dessert, and I I just feel like it's wrong. I just feel like that's not what it's made for.
0: I'm I can't agree with you on this one. I'm I'm completely mm. on board with everything you just said. My mouth is watering just thinking about it. Gross, gross, gross.
1: All right. Well, again, it's okay to be wrong. Welcome back to We Drink and We Watch Things. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Lamar. And we are sad because we are talking about Killers of the Flower Moon as part of our Oscars Feb, which we still don't have a better name for. Please let us know if you can think of one. And this is one of our best director noms uh, for the great Martin Scorsese, but not not great feeling not a great feeling to watch next
0: year we're not doing oscar noms we're gonna do mtv movie award nominees Mm. because we'll have a lot more fun Have a lot more fun yeah
1: this is rough luckily we've got some light ones coming down the pipe but uh Mm -hmm. two weeks in a row of some not light ones so yeah to power us through we obviously needed some drinks
0: um Mm -hmm. so what are you drinking well, this one, it's got some Empress Gin, which has some some floral notes in there. I also added some Elder Flower liqueur. So mm-hmm. a, l- a lot of floral if you catch the theme. So we're just going to call this the Flower Moon. A little bit of lemon in there as well and some bitters. But yeah, you got to figure out the proportions on your own, folks, because I'm no mixologist. But those are the four basic ingredients. That's so fancy. And
1: on theme, I'm so proud. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not at all on theme. I felt like I needed a comfort beverage after the pain of the last two hours. Um, so I actually just got a beer. One of my favorite beers in the big, as you guys <laughs> might know, big amber beer drinker. It's like my comfort beer. So that's what I got. And of course, without fail, with the drink and we watch things koozy because you
0: got to show the pride. Have we sold any of those for the $200 price point yet?
1: I've had a lot of inquiries, but um, they're negotiating hard, and I'm not willing no, to come down. No, we're not down. budging.
0: We are not budging Mm-mm. on the price.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Mm-mm. They're, they're limited like One supply. of six.
1: Hundred percent. Hundred percent. We're not doing it. So, yeah, yeah reach out if you're willing to, to drop two hundy on these babies. But uh, in the meantime, we're gonna dig into this film. We have tried to avoid it for as long as possible, but we better just mm. do it, I guess, huh? Yeah, knock so, well,
0: it out. We'll be sad for an hour, and then we'll get out of here and go. I don't know, bowling. Eat pizza, you know, for sure. Definitely gonna have pizza. pizza.
1: Oh god, not that. Don't (laughs) listen to him. But let's remind folks of the structure. So these guys, we know you you don't get to see them all before they come out or before you get to hear the pod. So we will do kind of our typical of we're gonna, you know, give you the basics at the top, spoiler free zone and that whole area, give you our thoughts on whether or not you should go see it. Uh, and then we will dig into spoiler zone. We will warn you with plenty of notice. Don't you fret. But with that in mind, we're going to dig into just the basics real quick. So as we mentioned at the top, this is our best director, Dom. Mm-hmm. And said director is Mr. Martin Scorsese,
0: living Who legend. Most of you, living legend. Most of you probably recognize him from his 72 uh, masterpiece, Boxcar Bertha. He also directed mm-hmm. uh, Michael Jackson's music video, Bad. that is true that is true but that's probably where most of you know him from
1: i'm sure i'm sure that's the first thing that comes to mind yeah definitely (laughs) yeah he does some great work you know music videos uh on the top of the list so
0: i asked you sorry i asked you last week (laughs) aka an hour ago what your favorite christopher nolan film was what's your favorite scorsese
1: um probably the departed
0: hell yeah I mean, yeah.
1: I yeah, I, I struggle to think of one that comes ahead of that. Are you so proud? I picked one.
0: Like, are you sure? <laughs> you, first of all, you decided on one, and it's my personal favorite as well. I think I would always rather watch The Departed above any other Scorsese. I think Goodfellas objectively might be the best of the bunch if I had to pick one to mm. you know put in a Hall of Fame of some sort. But Departed is just, it hits on all cylinders for me. I love watching that one.
1: Yeah, I just I love that one. I love that. I mean I love the structure of that film. I love the cast of that film. I love all the performances, but especially in Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just a really really good movie. So yeah, I think I think that one for sure. It also is one of the ones that like doesn't feel like it drags, which is one of my ongoing critiques of Mr. Scorsese, which I know is may or may not yeah. be a hot take, but and definitely holds true here. In this one,
0: we'll get into it. (laughs) We'll get into that, because I feel like when he did The Irishman, I think he financed it through Netflix, right? And they just gave Mm -hmm. him carte blanche to make whatever fucking movie he wanted to do, because it's like it's Scorsese. We're not going to put any boundaries on him. And he produced, yeah, a three, three and a half hour film there, and now he's gotten a little too comfortable. He's doing the same thing here, and we will get into why I think that was a mistake.
1: Yeah, I also thought Hot Take thought it was a mistake in The Irishman, too. And also Mm -hmm. The Irishman, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, was not a very unique story on the part of Mr. Scorsese, like not his best work. And I I know this was nominated for an Oscar, won some stuff, was nominated for Best Picture. I was a hard disagree when that happened. So. We'll We'll get into that. Um, but also he wrote he co-wrote this as well. Him and Eric Roth wrote this film. He, I will say this is one of the ones that I think he had heavy investment in on a personal level and an involvement level. Like he was really passionate about sort of telling the story. I watched mm-hmm. a few interviews with him about this film. And this holds a really important place in his heart, I think, is very clear. And so I think he I think he had a lot of investment again from top to bottom in the making of this film. So he co-wrote it with Eric Roth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is based on the
0: book by David Graham of the same name. So, um, he, yeah, I had heard that too. I had heard that he read the yeah. book and immediately had that thought of, I need to make this motion picture. Mm-hmm. He was, he felt very strongly about how he had to make it and it took him a while to get
1: it into development. But I mean, if you hear the way that I will, I'll give it a lot of credit in this way, the way in which they went about telling this story very authentically, I think is something we do have to give him credit mm-hmm. for and his production mm-hmm. team. And, and while showing respect for this indigenous community that wanted to be represented well and accurately. And also mm-hmm. I think it's a unique story to begin with where it's, it's giving you a very different picture of indigenous life. And again, we'll get into that later, but I think yeah. it's a, It's an important story to tell, and I agree. Like the book was really profound and important. I it was sad. It is sad. It's a sad story. Like we said at the top, Um, for sure. There's no getting around it. So, but I read the book, you know, when it came out as well to much acclaim, and yeah, I'm not surprised he was inspired
0: to do it. But it is not an easy topic for sure. Absolutely. You mentioned the name Eric Roth a couple times there, and I sort of went down a rabbit hole of figuring out. I didn't realize. You know, a lot of times, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, the writers don't get enough credit. I think we, we see directors, we see actors, but mm-hmm. the folks who put this shit together on paper um, sometimes don't get enough credit. And so For sure. Eric Roth, he's done this one. He's worked with Scorsese before on The Departed, on The Irishman. I didn't realize he had also was also, the, the I think, the only person credited as a writer on Forrest Gump, which I thought was kind of mm. cool. So that, that one, you know, the early nineties classic it also did part of the writing on the screenplay for a star is born, the Bradley mm-hmm. version, which is un- unrelated, but
1: also an incredible film. I know it's like a mm-hmm. four, literally a four time remake, but like it's next level anyway, moving yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, incredible writer. And I agree with you. They don't get enough credit in general, but they should, because none of these stories exist without them. The other bits that we want to cover really quick are of course the major players. So We have Mr.
0: Leonardo DiCaprio, who plays Ernest Burkhart. And most of you, Ernest Burkhart. Burkhart. And most of you, Bert. We got to laugh while we can, folks. I know Guys, we're we're going to make fun of
1: names. We're going (laughs) to find little bits of joy because there is none. There is none. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And most of you will probably know Leonardo DiCaprio from his roles in Critters 3, um, Mm. Total Eclipse, some real classics there.
1: Yeah, I think those are some like really high quality films that you you Mm -hmm. called out there. Definitely surprisingly not nominated for Oscars in some cases. Quite weird. I mean, we we we've talked about this before. Leonardo DiCaprio was snubbed about was Critters. Yeah, was Critters three not nominated for anything? It wasn't. It wasn't. Again, Mm -hmm. like we have bitched at the Academy about this before. He is thought it was like
0: a best adapted screenplay, but maybe I'm misremembering that. they just adapted the screenplay from the second one and the first one.
1: That's that's a little loophole <laughs> in the academy there. Oh um, god, don't don't start that shit with the adapted screenplay nonsense. It's such a they got yeah.
0: they got weird rules about these things. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, joking aside, it, it is interesting to see Leo in this one. We we talked last week about Robert Downey Jr. sort of taking a turn and doing something different from what he's been doing the last 20 years. I think Leo does have a little more diversity in the roles that he takes, but this one felt different to me. And one running theme that you guys will probably pick up from me, at least today is the performance in this, the performances in this film are brilliant. There are some really good performances. I'm just not a huge fan of how it's structured necessarily and executed, but Leo, it's just, I'm like, is this guy ever not charming? Cause he's playing sort of a, I know at the beginning, anyway, sort of a lovable idiot. Like he's not yeah. bright. He's not. I mean, it's weird to say, but he's not played as super attractive. Mm-hmm. I guess for maybe like nineteen ten, he's a good looking dude or average looking dude. But his he's, teeth they are they make sort of messed look up. The least and, like,
1: attractive he's ever looked. For yeah,
0: sure. for sure. But but his performance in this, he does eventually sort of become more charming and yeah. Not to give anything away with how it plays out, but it's interesting to see him doing something a little different.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think he plays a really different role here. He does a really good job. He looks different, even to your point. But I, I think it's partially that he is playing an idiot that stood out the most to me because, like, he really is. He's he's kind mm-hmm. of a moron, truly. And yeah, uh, I I was struggling to think of another time where he played something like that. Like he didn't play somebody who was inherently either intelligent. Or accomplished or whatever. And short of literally when he was a kid playing, you know, in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Right. um, He has never played that kind of person, really, you know. So I, I thought that was really the most interesting. But then we also see a really interesting performance from Robert De Niro, about which I have some feelings. But he definitely plays a different type of guy. Too much success? Question mark. But he definitely plays a different type of character for himself. William Hale. Is uh is Ernest Burckhardt's uncle, and uncle. and that's how yeah. they kind of relate in the film.
0: Now, this is the same Robert De Niro that was in Dirty Grandpa, and analyze that. Correct. Mm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Yeah, mm. same guy. Same guy. Okay. And you know, he again, those are some really high quality films, and he's playing a really different guy here. Really <laughs> different
0: guy. It's also cool to me that we spoke last week about directors having favorite. Folks to cast favorite actors Mm -hmm. or actresses. It's interesting to me that this is the first Scorsese film that these two have teamed up because De Niro was his golden boy in the 80s and 90s, and he sort of transitioned into using DiCaprio in almost every movie in the early 2000s, I guess. And it's interesting to actually have them on the same film. This is the first (laughs) film they've done together since I think 1996. Mm They've been in two films in the early 90s, and it had been a 30 year gap basically until they did this one together.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting, like, the tr- the little trifecta there has not worked together in this way, and yeah. that's it creates an interesting dynamic. There's a lot of stories from the set about that, too, where Leonardo DiCaprio is not a young man anymore, but relative to them, he was, like, the young kid on the set and <laughs> how that dynamic played out of Robert De Niro has a very specific process and mm-hmm. doesn't want to ad-lib and all these things that Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> likes to do. So there was definitely some, some growing pains of them working together, but it doesn't... Yeah. Uh, it, it helps the performances, of anything, I would say, and we'll talk about their yeah. dynamic in a bit, but uh, but I think it helps, yeah. So, we also come to Lily Gladstone, whose performance cannot be overlooked incredible performance, Oscar nominated mm-hmm. performance, Golden Globe winning performance. And she is playing Molly Burkhart, who so she's married to Leonardo DiCaprio's character in this film, and yeah. She's not super well-known, and I think that that's fair to say because she's been in mostly indie th- films and smaller stuff. But what I think is fun here is that the film Certain Wim- Women is what got her the job, actually. Martin Scorsese was interviewed about this, and he saw her in that, and he just immediately – he not simultaneously, like not at the same time, but that performance in that film is why he wanted her for this. He just was like, she's this person who can do this – Non-verbal performance like nobody else. And and we'll talk about that as well is that this is not a really verbose role for her, but you absolutely understand the point she's trying to get across either way.
0: Yeah. She apparently was close to retiring from acting yeah. uh, during the middle of COVID and then got the call from Scorsese of I'd, I'd like you to come be in this film. And yeah, that's life changing.
1: Life changing. I love those kinds of stories because I, I mean, yeah. that stuff truly does happen. Like you just... One decision away from changing your life, so it is really cool that they brought her on board. And um, they also have a couple other smaller roles. These are those are kind of the core. These three people are who yeah, you spend the most yeah. of your time with, who you are most invested in for sure. Um, but a couple other, you know, interesting ones as well as Jesse Plemons comes in much later in the film as Tom White, the FBI agent who's investigating the crimes in this film. He
0: also has been in several things. What do you what do you remember him from? I'm not even going to make a joke just because I'm so proud of Jesse Plemons from his <laughs> Friday Night Lights days. He's Aww. the one that I'll just I'm going to do with all sincerity because I remember seeing him on Friday Night Lights and he just plays this underdog goofy character who's in a Christian metal band. <laughs> and like to see him and his development over the course of that series and sort of finding his rhythm as an actor and then to see him popping up in smaller roles in Breaking Bad and things mm-hmm. like that. And then to finally sort of find this, it's not even a niche because he's played comedy so well in things like Game Night, where he plays this awkward neighbor. Mm. And then he's, he's so he funny can. In that. He, yes. He might be the only reason to watch that movie. I don't remember much about it, but he was great. And then he can also transition and play someone totally different in something like The Power of the Dog. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just very, also very cool a heavy to film. see. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to do a watch through of that one anytime soon. No, definitely not. Not my favorite for a lot of reasons, but not because (laughs) of him. He did
1: a great job. Uh, He also was in The Irishman as well. Again, another, you know, partnership with Scorsese there. And I agree with you. I think he has such range. Uh, He has really interesting range. And he's coming out in a movie that I actually probably won't see because it's a little looks too little too close to home. It's called Civil War. But even the little snippet that you see in the trailer you're like, ooh, this is going to be like, it's mm-hmm. going to be an interesting performance from him. So yeah, I think he's definitely one of the ones to, to watch for sure. We have a couple other cool cameos here. There is a massive cast, Asterix. Um, but yeah. I would say a couple fun cameos that people may know are like a John Lithgow comes in mm-hmm. later. And again, much later into the film. Uh, yeah. And Brendan Fraser as well, both. These are both definitely like second act, third Hacked kind of kind of performances where they appear and they're interesting, but they're small and you see them very briefly. So it's not something we're going to spend a ton of time at. And then there's a bunch more. There's a bunch more cameos that I just we could go on for far too long, to be honest. Yeah,
0: I might mention a couple of the cameos when we get into it because I don't want to spoil some of the more like tiny ones. But speaking of massive cast, I think that is one thing. And you guys heard me mention this last week during Oppenheimer. I think that that film did a great job of casting folks who would make it easier to track the multiple timelines and sort of, oh, it's that guy. I remember him. I'm not, you know, I'm all for hiring lesser known, giving work to folks who are not getting the the not Matt Damons of the world and people like that. But I think in a film like this, I remember pulling it up on IMDb and being like, this is the biggest fucking cast I've ever seen. There are I probably over a 100 credited actors. I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but it felt scrolling through it of just how many different people are in this. And when eventually they do start bringing people back who were in the first 30 minutes, but don't show up again until hour two or three. I'm like, wait, is this this guy or this guy? And it's not the actor's fault. It's just a structure problem from Scorsese of why are it? Why are we trying to make make us connect the dots? It's a little too difficult, in my opinion. I agree. There's a lot
1: of work to be done on the part of the audience for this film. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in many, many ways. Not just following who is who, but connecting dots that are not well laid for you, I I think. (laughs) And I say this as somebody who really likes to dissect a film and intellectualize it and figure it out. And I did not enjoy that this time. I was like, I'm doing so much work and I am tired. And, and, and that's as somebody also who has read this book, by the way, this is based on a Mm -hmm. book. And that is something I want to call out as a, as a quick at the top one. It is based on the book, like I said, of the same name, but the general plot is about that oil is discovered in Oklahoma on Osage nation land in like the twenties. and, Slowly, these these Osage people, indigenous Osage people, are being murdered. And it is mm-hmm. undeniably a pattern, but it's not looked into and not delved into until Lily Gladstone's character, Molly Burkhart, takes a real risk, truly does do this to uh, risk her health and her life to go to Washington, D.C. and, you know, appeal for help, appeal for somebody mm-hmm. to take a closer look and and that's when the FBI steps in to investigate and and they unravel kind of end up, end up unraveling what happens here. But it's all captured in the book, like I said, but I feel like it impacts how you take in the film, whether or not you've seen it. And I, I think what I'm interested to hear as we go on, how your experience was different than mine, because I knew what was coming. And I think my anticipation made me radically impatient for it to happen. Of just like, I know what's going to happen here.
0: Yeah. It's it's crazy to think about how this follows the basic blueprint of a handful of other Scorsese films. I think if you look at something like A Departed, mm-hmm. like A Goodfellas, there's so many, I don't want to call them tropes, but he does, you know, just like Tarantino, he has things and beats that he puts in every single one of his mm-hmm. stories. But this one, because it's so you're watching the rise
1: mm-hmm.
0: of power hungry, greedy people you know, doing whatever the hell they want. There's even some parallels to the Wolf of Wall Street, I would say. Mm-hmm. of just watching mm-hmm. these not nice people be assholes for two hours and you're just waiting for the comeuppance. And this one, it doesn't seem to hit as hard and it doesn't seem to climax in the way you want it to. But what you said of this is the, the historical component of it is fascinating. I mean, it's really, really sad and tragic. I didn't I wasn't aware that this is literally the first case that the FBI ever worked. Like this case of these murders in Oklahoma was the first case the Federal Bureau of Investigation was sent to investigate. That's crazy to me.
1: And they have a call out to that in the film where the when he goes to interrogate them at the home,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, he has to say where he's from several times because nobody's yeah. heard of it yeah. yet. It's not, it's not something – it has existed, by the way, in a prior form, and it was also spearheaded by J. Edgar Hoover. It is led by J. Edgar Hoover at this point, but it had existed in a prior form. But this is the first official <laughs> – you know, inception truly of the FBI and in, in the modern Mm -hmm. form that we know it as today. Yeah, definitely. So, but what I think to your point, you said is, you know, the climax doesn't hit the right way or hit the way you want it to rather is unfortunately rooted in the history of this, right? Mm -hmm. This is, this is the way the story does go and it's depressingly accurate in that way.
0: And we'll get into it. Um, And maybe that's the message, you know, mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm what Scorsese wanted to do was I'm not going to dress it up and make it feel like, and again, it didn't
1: romanticize it in
0: that way. Yeah. For sure. It for feels sure. very straightforward. of Like this is what historically happened. And it feels like he didn't change anything from the historical context. And what you said earlier about the Osage people alive today had a hand in this of how mm-hmm. they wanted this story to be told. So I respect that. But I don't think they were saying, Mr. Scorsese, please make it three and a half hours long. Yeah, (laughs) he probably could have tightened that up a little bit.
1: I think that he felt such an obligation to tell the story in its entirety, that that is part of what happens here. But I also (laughs) think there was some pacing to be had. I wonder if it felt like a Hollywoodification, for lack of a better term. To do I like that, that
0: word. I think mean, it's a great word.
1: Thank you so much. <laughs> I feel like maybe that's what he felt like he would have been doing if he had changed the pacing. I, I'm trying to give him credit because I also struggled with it. You know what I mean? Like, I, it is hard to watch. It hits the climax in a weird way. It is, again, you don't get the satisfaction of it. But I think that's part of what is true about this story and that yeah, the Osage people want you to understand that this is a very mm-hmm. dissatisfying end. And that was the same experience for them, right? So you kind of, you learn some empathy for them throughout this film, I think, definitely. So all that to say, we may have some real issues with this film, but it got nominated for a lot of shit, which I think is, I don't know, just like if Martin Scorsese slaps his name on it, it just gets nominated for a best picture regardless. And I just don't think it warrants it, you know? Um, Agreed. It's a best picture. So it's 10 noms. Best picture, directing, best actress, supporting actor, cinematography, film editing, production design, costume design, original score, and original song. And what I will say about almost all of those noms is that I agree with everything except the first two being legit. You know, it is beautifully performed. It is beautifully shot. It is actually I don't believe I don't agree with the film editing. It's not well edited in my opinion. Uh, It could be edited (laughs) down. but um. But the best picture and best directing and editing, yeah, I don't think those really apply. The rest, I feel like I can see how you would acknowledge the quality of these different aspects of the film, but mm-hmm. I don't think you can look at the whole result and
0: go, this is the best picture.
1: Is it a good movie? Debatable, and I think there are parts about it that are good. But is it a best fucking picture? Like
0: I, I think don't know. it would have made so much more sense as a TV series, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that if you had stretched this out to a 6 episode miniseries or a 4 episode miniseries would so much better yeah you could you could structure your story beats you know at the end of each episode it would just be it would make so much more sense than mm-hmm. what he did here which just feels like this like slow not not meandering but just like when am i supposed to feel like there's a couple emotional moments but for the most part you're just sitting there depressed, watching shitty things happen, but it's not impacting you, I think, as heavily as it should be considering the Mm -hmm. subject matter. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's rough.
1: It's almost because I think you're, it took so long for this to be solved, you know? And so I think that's part of it, but I do think again, you could, you could pace it better without, making up parts of the story. You know what I mean? I do I I I do think that was possible, but again, I'm not a filmmaker. I realize <laughs> that we are Monday court Monday Morning Quarterbacking right now, but it's yeah. just not my my favorite. I do really appreciate the performances, which speaking yeah. to that, um Lily Gladstone did win the Golden Globe for Best Actress and she mm-hmm. made history. She was the first indigenous woman to win that award, and I think she might have even been the first. I know she definitely is for Oscars, but for Golden Globes, I think she was also the first to even be nominated. And I just loved her response of why am I the first? Like, shouldn't be the first. Mm -hmm. And, And I think I'm so glad what I will say about this film in general, I'm so glad that there is a Native American story front and center on the major piece of filmmaking. I think that is long overdue. We've seen other works about it. I'm not saying that we've seen other Oscar nominated works about it like Wind River but a lot of those a lot of these stories are rooted in trauma and it's really as a result these are hard topics to make films about so I I get that I respect that um but I'm glad to see this this person get their get this nomination that she really deserves this performance is really incredible
0: yeah totally agree is are there any other positives or negatives before we get into spoiler territory anything else you want to say
1: Couple just quick little nuggets for you guys. I think that the I think that the box office shows a lot of people agree with us that this was not hmm. easy to watch. Um, it was 157 million against a 200 million dollar budget, and oh, wow, which is a pretty gnarly loss for someone like yeah. a Scorsese. Um, and I think it's notable that the budget is so high. To your point, Netflix financed the Irishman for crazy money and just let him do whatever he want and then they did it again and gave him a ton of money and he did the same thing again like he he makes this behemoth film and yeah. spends a fuck ton of money to do it um, but yeah it doesn't translate to to people watching it I think in the same way but I also think another cool thing about this film is that it is filmed in in Osage territory it's filmed in Oklahoma
0: it mm-hmm. kind of keeps
1: that keeps that heart of the film and and I think St. Lens Authenticity to it as a result, for sure. So, but all that to say, yeah, what's your rating so we can tell people before we get into the spoiler territory?
0: I don't, y- y'all, it's been a while since we've done a movie. I don't know that we've done a movie where I've said, don't watch this,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: especially not in the Oscar category. But honestly, if you're not a Scorsese fan or if you're not interested in the historical context of this actual thing that happened, I don't know that I would recommend this. I mean, great performances. Some really, really like Leo is great and Lily is great. Robert De Niro is pretty good. There's a couple things that I'm going to critique later on. But aside from the performances, I just can't. I feel like this does not pick up until the last hour. And by that point, you've been sitting there for two and a half hours just wallowing in I'm all for a bleak movie, but it shouldn't be bleak and also draining lengthwise and time-wise. It shouldn't feel like a physical investment as well as an emotional investment. Yeah, like this does. So I agree. It's not a horrible film. I'm not going to say it's a bad film, but I think the the audience for this one is going to be very specific. So for me, again, personal rating, I I'd give it like a six. Six yeah. and a half. It's it's fine, but I I don't love it. I don't yeah. ever want to watch it again.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, I for for context, uh, I this may be clear, but I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the pod. I am a watch a movie in one shot kind of person. I like mm-hmm. to immerse myself in a film. I like. I don't like to always be on my phone. I'm definitely guilty of it when I watch stuff at home, but I generally like to get myself immersed in a film and it's a big part of why i love going Mm -hmm. to a theater you know doing that as well for context around this film i am pretty sure i paused this movie 27 times (laughs) i it was so hard to get through it just was and i don't have a problem with that and I mean that even for long films. I don't generally have an issue with that. And I struggled with this. I really struggled. Yeah, with it. And I think it yeah. informs a lot of my rating as well, which I would say is like a six and a half. I think yeah. the reason I even give it that much, like a six and a half or a seven even, would be because of the story they are choosing to tell. And I think it's an important story to tell. I, yeah. I, I think it's an important History that people should be aware of, you know, and I again, I think we should have more Native American stories be in this form of art, you know, in something that can reach so many people and 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 educate so many people. So, a lot of that is why I give it as higher rating, not as much because of the enjoyability of watching this film. And I agree, I will not be going back and watching this probably ever. So yeah, I feel I do... like
0: you should. It's almost like I want to say. If you want to educate yourself, mm-hmm. because this is this movie mm-hmm. is it's very valuable mm-hmm. to what it, it portraying this accurate. situation. It's yes, it's accurate and it is educational in a way. So if you're trying to do that, I would tell you to go read the book. I haven't read the book, but I assume the book tells the story mm-hmm. more coherently and you still get that same history lesson of how fucked up America is. We already know it's pretty fucked up, but super fucked yeah. up.
1: Yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, I would say again, to your point, I think there are specific audiences that will enjoy this. Do I think that a lot of our audience will enjoy this? I don't know. You got to be into those things. You got to be into the history yeah. of it all. You got to be ready to sit through
0: some pain for sure. Um, our so, yeah. audience voted for bring it on. So I don't think they're going to love this one. So much. <laughs> they won't love it as much as bring it on. I don't think. Right there. These are
1: people who <laughs> wanted to watch clueless and bring it on. I don't know if this is the move. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so maybe, maybe turn around, don't drown, or maybe stay and listen to spoilers because you have no intention of actually watching this. Yeah. So. If you have
0: this is the one time where I'll be like, Hey, if you don't think you're going to watch this, but you're curious to hear us rag on it a little bit. Yeah. Stick around. See what we don't like.
1: Stick around. So
0: let's dive in because honestly, I
1: would like to not talk about this film as soon as possible. So I would say I do – one thing I do like about this movie, again, is that it is around this conspiracy to murder Mm -hmm. members of the Osage tribe. And that is because they are wealthy and they have oil on their land. And the thing that I like about that is this image of a Native American community in power.
0: Yes, I, the role reversal. Yeah, the
1: role reversal is so beautiful to see. You're, I mean, yeah. it's exciting to see it. They are like royalty in this town. They have literal furs, jewels, big homes. They are the highest ranks of society as far as wealth and power
0: over their own land, their own rights. And it's funny that I shouldn't be laughing at this line, but I wrote down the line of, oh, you know, the stereotypical wealthy, lazy Native American. (laughs) Like, what? Since when is that a thing? But in this town, it was like it was and not to say that they were lazy, but like they had all the money and everyone else was jealous of it. So it was very interesting to hear that.
1: It's important to note that that line is spoken by a white man. Um, Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is because... And he doesn't yes, say
0: Native American, for the record. Right. I'm trying to be and, more PC. And even that's not, I guess, technically PC. Indigenous, yes.
1: I think that they are very much jealous, is the point, to your to mm-hmm. what you said. They are very jealous that... But it, it is this... It's actually a theme that we've touched on in, these, in a couple other movies and related where we've talked about, it's the principle of the thing that you shouldn't be in this position. You, by yeah. rights, shouldn't have this power, this wealth, etc. And I shouldn't be jealous of you because I am a white man or, and and I should have the power in this scenario. And I don't. And the fact that I don't really grinds my gears. And as a result, we see them take action to strip away that power. And you see that happen not only through these murders that begin to happen, but through the way that they manage the Osage people's money. That's another, Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we hate about this film is these people, they have mineral rights to their land. They have mineral rights to this oil. They are by rights entitled to their own money and their own wealth. However, they are deemed, depending on literally depending on the percentage of Osage blood in your body, they Mm -hmm. are deemed either partially competent or incompetent to own, Mm -hmm. to have access to their own money. And can you imagine just being, a different ethnicity, a different race from the people holding your money somehow best empowers them to give you access to it. It is enraging. It is enraging yeah. to see. And you see it, I think, really profoundly in the scene with Lily Gladstone, who plays Molly, who has to go ask for money. And she has to announce her name and her level of competency. So she says... Molly Burkhart, incompetent,
0: mm-hmm. trying
1: to get her her own money. It's just, ah, it's so enraging throughout. Um, but it is, yeah, it's a way that they try to control those funds. And it's historically accurate that that one, that that happened, and two, that that power was abused, of course, you know.
0: Yeah, it's a frustrating film, for sure, in more ways than what the, the historically accurate components are very frustrating. For me, it was also frustrating in the manner that they told some of these things when you talked about the murders and the conspiracies that started to happen to sort of take money from these people. The movie gets interesting when the FBI finally fucking shows up. Right, That's when I started saying, okay, now I'm in because... For the first two hours, you're just watching things happen over and over and over again, which, again, might be the point of Scorsese trying to frustrate you as a viewer of here's another death and here's another thing that's not being investigated. And now this P.I. has been killed, even though he was trying to investigate it. But Mm -hmm. it's frustrating because you already know everything that's happening, like the, the reveals of, oh, Leo's been evil this whole time. We already know that. Like, maybe we didn't know to what extent, but it doesn't, it just doesn't hit the way that Scorsese tells that story. To me, I think maybe the only compelling component is watching De Niro's character, the way that he presents himself and interacts with the Osage people. And you know that he's a conniving fucking bastard who's scheming behind their backs. That, I think, is doing a good job of establishing this villain, you know, real-life person, but just how big of a dickhead he is, of seeing him trying to uh, convey sympathy for their their problems and for their losses when he's backstabbing them at every turn and how much he tries to exploit every loophole and he's got insurance schemes going on. I think that Mm -hmm. that was interesting, but the rest of the... The conflict and the reveals just did not hit home for me for that first 90 to 120 minutes.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was didn't hit for me and was slow because I knew the story and where it was going to go. But I also think those are, you pointed out two things that I think are, re- are really interesting to consider and to discuss, which are, one, the level of complicity on the part of Ernest Burkhart, aka yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio, and the way in which William Hale presents himself externally while having these incredibly greed-driven motivations and manipulating all, all the things that are happening around him. He's he's truly responsible for a lot of the things that happen here. Um, and I would I would love to dig into both of those. First, I think the easy one is William Hale is a fucking manipulator. He yeah. is manipulating everyone around him. And he's positioning himself very much with the perspective of keep your friends close and your enemies closer. He
0: yeah.
1: is friends with these people. And he even, I mean, I think he genuinely believes that, by the way, one of his best friends is an Osage man. Mm-hmm. But... They're also his enemy because they have something that he feels he has a right to. He feels he should have. Again, as an entitled white man in this community in this period, feels like this is a disproportionate level of wealth that these people have. And even though he is successful and he is wealthy, it's not even close.
0: Yeah.
1: And he cannot abide that. That is very hard for him to accept. And you see him, to your point, run all kinds of schemes. To change that to make the difference there, and it comes through in a really, you know, what is the best way to say it? Just almost sniveling way of he is pretending to be their friend in a really, really trusted capacity. He is in these tent meetings, he is advising their families of how to spend their money and where to invest, and he's going to funerals and express expressing sincere condolences mm-hmm. and heartbreak and holding them as they cry. Like he is the worst kind of traitor. Um, and you hate him. You hate him throughout. So I guess to that end, De Niro's performance is really good, but it also wasn't even my fave of his work to be honest. He,
0: yeah. There's a lot of disillusionment happening in this from basically all of the main characters, you know I, I don't know how much that william hale believes that he's in the or maybe it is what you said of as a white man i deserve this so i'm yeah. justifying all of my actions there's a lot of disillusionment i think from ernest where he it's so crazy the last half hour or so where they say, Oh, they beat you. Like the FBI, they beat you. That's why any convinces himself of like, yeah, Mm -hmm. they did. Oh yeah. That's how I remember. I'm just like, this guy's a fucking idiot. Like that's sort of the point of the movie. Mm -hmm. But even when his wife finally calls him out on what were you putting in the drugs? And he was like, no, it was just insulin. Like in his own head, he has disillusioned, disillusioned himself to thinking that he's innocent in his actions because either he, thinks they're justified like William does, or he is just so naive and stupid that he doesn't remember what the fuck he did. And either way, it's not that. I don't know. Again, the story there is something that I just can't wrap my head around what they're trying to say.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think his is a story that's very interesting to consider, right. And talk more about like, even though it's frustrating and all those things are true. I think he's, the most complicated character while somehow being the simplest, you know, he is definitely mentally the simplest character, but what makes him complicated is that he truly loved this woman. He was in love with her and Mm -hmm. loved their family, loved their kids, but he was a pawn in this game of trying to steal her wealth. And, and this is done by killing off her family all of mm-hmm. his, his literal in laws, and he is complicit in that. But also, to your point, almost disassociating, like yeah. he he acts like those things are happening outside of his control. And I think that is because one, he doesn't fully have control. To one of Martin Scorsese's quotes about this film is, "It's not a who done it; it's a who didn't do it." Right? There's hmm. 1,200 people involved in this scheme. So even if Ernest is not directly responsible for some of these things, they happen anyway. Right. So I think it's important to note that this truly was a conspiracy in the realist sense. There are a ton of people involved mm-hmm. and this was going to happen. There was going to be forward momentum either way. And I just wonder about Ernest of is this machine all bigger than me and I can't stand up to my uncle and I have no power or what have you because he is such an idiot, because he doesn't know how to go about doing those things. He doesn't know how to stop his his uncle, who we should note is a deputy sheriff. So how does he go up against these people in positions of power to protect his family? Do I think it excuses him that he doesn't know how to do that? No. But I wonder if it's mentally part of his limitation because it directly impacts it, it, this it, person it, that he does truly love that the, it, you can't overlook this love story that's at the center of this.
0: It could be, but I just I don't think that the the writing and the directing do a good enough job of conveying that if that's the case they're trying to get across. I think that when he was because, you you know, he does love her. And not only is he killing her family off, but he's slowly poisoning her. And there was the the scene. And again, I've never read the book. So to me, when he took some of the poison that he was giving to her and put it in his drinking glass, I said to myself, oh, he's going to realize, oh, this is what I'm doing to my wife. Like I am causing her pain. I'm causing her this physical ailment. And then he's going to come to his senses and realize he shouldn't do this anymore. And that's not what happened. And maybe that did, again, maybe that's just historically accurate, but the. I don't
1: think he thought he was killing her. I I will Mm. say that. I I think that he thought, I think he tests the poison because he's not 100% certain what it does. He's okay. suspicious. Like, I think he's beget- getting suspicious. He knows the reason that they said that they're giving it to him, which is to slow her down. She's in a tizzy. She's got all these heavy nerves. She's scared because of all these murders. This is supposed to slow her down. Almost like, you know, people give people sedatives to calm down, right? Like, this yeah. is kind of how it's billed to him, I think, of, hey, this is going to help her, right? And help just slow her down. And that and they don't explain that to him. And I think he's too stu- too stupid to understand what that actually means. And he sees her not only slowing down but getting sicker. And I think that's when he starts to question what is in the poison. And I do think you see him starting to question his uncle and question intent here. And then he gets it and he gets sick and he realizes, well, yeah, it's slowing her down. It's making mm-hmm. her sick. Um, And that's where I think you really struggle with him as a person of do you fully conceptualize what you're doing that you are directly responsible for her illness? And, like, I think, what to your point, what they don't do a good job of is making that clear. Right. How much does he really realize what he's doing once he tests the poison and either commit fully or – just not fully understand what it is and, and keep doing it because his uncle told him to. That's never made clear and I think that is a flaw in the filmmaking for
0: sure. Yeah, there's there's a lot of issues of that in this with the structure of it. The way that the again another reveal for example that just didn't hit for me was the death of the the sister who gets shot. I think her name's Anna. Hannah? Anna. Anna. Yeah. yeah. And that The death we see, we already know what the fuck is happening. I don't know why we need to see a scene with half an hour left in the movie that shows us what happened the night of her death. It's just stuff like that where I'm just like, this is not as impactful as you think it is. It also ties into what I said of the the massive cast where when that guy showed up, the guy who was there the night she died, I thought he was somebody that had been shot two hours ago Yeah, because it's so confusing to track some of the stories in this film.
1: It's also confusing to understand who's involved in the conspiracy for that reason. I don't think you feel the impact of how pervasive it is in this community Mm -hmm. because you don't remember who is who. There are too many people. And what should be felt is it's almost all these people. That yeah. are complicit in this. But you don't remember who knows what and who's participating in what and why and blah blah blah. You don't get any of that because of the the lack of connection to all these other characters because this cast is so huge. And I also yeah. did not like, and this is this is just a directorial choice that I I think is probably more about again making you feel pain and empathy for this community that this happened to, but the brutality that with which they show. Some of these deaths and yeah. and the post mortem
0: mm-hmm. of some
1: of these deaths, you know, of the state of these people after the fact, and what the medical examiner does to Anna's body, for example, is horrifying. Yeah. And you're there for it, and you see it, and you see a ton of people seeing it as well. And it's just, there's a just really difficult scenes that again, I think that's more about its directorial choice. It's not so much a flaw, but I think where they are placed is, is flawed. Um, yeah. and, and I think the order in which they are placed is flawed. And again, there's no trimming. We're not trimming anything. Everything lasts way longer than it needs to last. I think generally speaking, but one thing I did want to touch on w- before we moved on was, was the William Hale piece of that, his performance. I actually don't think that this is a best supporting actor performance. Yeah. I think this is a deference to Robert De Niro being one of the best to ever do it, Yeah, but I didn't love it. I thought it was okay. I thought his accent sucked for like <laughs> half of it because kind of going in and out of it. Yeah. he was going in and out of it. And like, I get it. It's Robert De Niro. He has a voice. He has Robert De Niro's voice. Like he has his own accent and mm-hmm. it's so thick and prominent that he fails to cover it up most of the time. You know, he's trying to do yeah. this other Southern accent and it it's,
0: it's not a great showing of it really. I got vibes of um, Tom Hanks in the Elvis movie, which I also didn't love for different mm. reasons, but him trying to do that corny, I don't all shucks Southern thing where he's like, Elvis, you come work for me. We'd be about, and it's like, it's Tom Hanks. So you give yeah. him a little bit of credit, but you're just like, this is- whatever you're doing here, bud didn't work, and I think De Niro does a little bit of that here.
1: Well, to be fair to him, he's actually supposed to be, I believe it's a Dutch man who came to the U.S. illegally and then gets adopts a Southern accent to pretend to be somebody he's not. Anyway, but <laughs> I agree with you. It's Sometimes the accents don't land and you give them a pass because they're famous actors, you know, and this is one of them. But I wouldn't personally give him a pass. I don't think that it was – particularly warranted a nomination. I think Leonardo DiCaprio's performance warranted a nomination.
0: There were a couple of scenes where I wrote down, this is why Leo is great. Because Mm -hmm. it felt, again, many parts of this, the storyline aside, the beats in this land, just like a mobster movie of Scorsese's, there's mm-hmm. the the scene where the the mob leader, you know, Hale mm-hmm. is trying to clean up all the loose ends, and you get a bunch of people dying in a row who he had previously hired. Mm-hmm. There's sort of the the overhead shots of of the dead, uh, the bodies. There's the the classic mm-hmm. Scorsese shot of first person walking through a crowd and all the eyes looking at the camera in the crowd. But it just something about it, watching Leo in this, where it's sort of a by the books thing. And you know that Leo and Martin love working together, you know that Robert and Martin love working together. So him sort of in this role, it felt a little paint by number to start. But there are a couple of scenes where he just fucking kills it. The main one that stood out to me was when he's, again, when the FBI shows up, it's great when he's being interrogated. Mm -hmm. And they won't let him sit down and he's swatting at the fly in the room and he looks all out of sorts and he's giving Mm -hmm. these impassioned speeches there and asking questions. Uh, And then when he has the one on one conversation with I think the character's name is Blackie, one of the the hitmen for hire, basically in on this scheme, Mm -hmm. those two back to back scenes and his performance in that it's just it reminds me of when you saw Django and Leo's only in it for like 20 minutes or whatever, but he has Mm -hmm. this movie stealing speech that's what those moments I was, God, this guy's one of the best to ever do it. So I will give that to Leo for sure.
1: For sure. His performance is really profound. And I think he plays very well. The, the struggle that this man had to have had about hurting his wife's family and ultimately his wife that he does love. And I do think even though he's, not smart as has been well established. Yeah. He at least to some degree struggles with, am I doing the right thing, you know, and is this wrong of me to do this to my wife? And it's funny. He finally decides to turn on hail. Ultimately, you know, he's considered it as we know, and he's gone back on it because he gets manipulated yeah. again. But the thing that gets it for him is I have to take care of my family. You know, I have to be able to take care of the girls and, And if this, if testifying against my uncle is going to be the thing to do it, then that's what I'm going to do. And he ultimately does pull the trigger on doing that. And you see him finally make the quote unquote right choice in that way. And it's motivated by love. But when she confronts him with, have you been, what have you been putting in my medicine? Yeah, He doesn't own it. He won't admit it. And He could if he truly thought it was defensible, he could tell her he could say, I thought I was giving you something to help slow you down and keep you calm. That's what that's Mm -hmm. what Uncle Uncle Will said. He does not defend himself. He just lies. And that's the moment where I'm like, okay, deep down somewhere, you knew you knew this was indefensible and you did it anyway. And how do you make that choice? when that's somebody that mm-hmm. you love, when everything you're saying and acting on now says you love her. And and that yeah. I think is very hard to reconcile. And that is a very accurate part of the story that I think this is where we get into the, this is not storytelling anymore. This is human shades of gray that are very hard to interpret and understand.
0: It is yeah. very hard
1: to understand this man.
0: It's and some of that, again, I think that I default back to being critical of Scorsese in this. I feel like, you have to do a better job of letting me know how I need to feel about this. I know it's a character, it's a real person, but it's a character. How am I supposed to feel about this person? Hale as well. I just think we spent so much of the movie knowing he was evil, but not leaning into it. You know, mm-hmm. when you watch The Departed, you know from the very beginning that Jack Nicholson's character in that is evil. He's very charming. You like him in a way, but he's a deplorable person. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't think you ever question whether or not he's truly a bad guy. And I think that they are making you question that for both of them throughout. And I don't think it should be. I think it's very clear that they are both evil people. And Ernest may have had what the smallest saving grace in that he fell in love with this woman. But then he let all this happen to her and (laughs) fully participated in it. And I think it almost makes it feel more innocent on his part. Than it actually is of like, oh, this just all happened around him and he couldn't do anything about it. And I just, again, I think that you see at the end when he refuses to admit in his part that for me is like, okay, no, you you're making a conscious choice. You've been making a conscious choice and you're Mm -hmm. just a bad guy. And I think this is the part that Scorsese doesn't control is that he isn't truly punished the way that he should
0: be. And
1: neither of them are but you could have made it clearer that they were bad. Yeah, I totally agree with that.
0: I guess one of the last things that I want to touch on is how did you feel about the decision to close out the film with sort of this vintage radio show summary it's almost like an epilogue where you would see like a paragraph of this person did this and then this happened to this person Mm -hmm. but it's told through sort of a, a radio show recap with some interesting cameos uh jack white is there and the host is jc mckenzie who's made an appearance always really small parts in scorsese films but he was like the in the departed he was the person renting the apartment to matt damon's character but Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of interesting cameos there also uh, totally unrelated but eldon hansen who was like one of the bash brothers in mighty ducks Mm. (laughs) Ducks two has a he's in this but he has no lines of dialogue from what i can remember that again speaks to why are you using this dude who i recognize because he's also been in daredevil and a bunch of other parts over the years But he doesn't even have dialogue. Why is he in this film? But sorry, getting back to it, the radio show. What are your thoughts on that to sort of close us out?
1: I mean, it feels timely. It feels like it fits with the era. It's the way that this story would be sensationalized at that time. I think it's one of the many indicators that we've had an obsession as a society with true crime for a very long time. (laughs) <laughs> and and so I think we it's a good call. We see that being, you know, dramatized here in a way that's like this story that is truly horrifying but also real and impacted people deeply is now being commercialized. Yep. And it's very it's an interest it's an interesting juxtaposition that I think is in fact a judgment of that but it is a bit meta because that's what we're doing here as well.
0: Well, and to be fair, it was poorly commercialized because it didn't make its budget back. So, to your <laughs> right. point. Earlier.
1: Exactly. But that's also the that's also it, right? Is it's like do does this film warrant the attention that it's getting and, and being commercialized when it's, this is the story that it's telling. And again, I think from an educational mm. perspective and putting these stories that are important front and center, I think it is valuable. I just think it could have been done better and, and not to make it more entertaining. I, I just want to make that clear. Like I don't need yeah. to be entertained by this very difficult true story. Mm-hmm. I just want it to be, I want there to be more of a voice in this storytelling, a clearer direction, a clearer voice and a clear indictment of these people who are truly horrible because you don't get that in real life. And it's like this was the opportunity to to show that. But I think he right. made a, a conscious directorial choice to show them as, again, these people with shades of gray. And, you yeah. know, I, I, I just don't think they're deserving of even that level
0: of grace to some degree when you were saying that my thought was I don't want to be entertained when there's subject matter like this, I think. And again, this might not be the perfect word, but I think captivated in a very depressing Mm. sense. I just need to be able to follow the story and pick up on the emotional beats of Mm. this. Because again, I think as a TV series and a little differently structured, this could have had the intended impact, but this with the, the radio show at the end You had some great points there about what it says about our current culture and just our country's fascination with sensationalizing tragedies decades after the fact. But yeah, it just for me did not did not really land. I think if I wanted to watch a real life tragedy again and really feel something, I would go rewatch the Iron Claw because I thought that one told the story. It didn't make things up. But it, and it had that weighty emotional impact of me being able to follow the structure throughout. I just think there's yeah. some misses here. I agree.
1: And I think if I wanted to learn more about this story, I would seek out like a documentary yeah. that is more thorough or more well done. Because they, they don't go into like there were hundreds of people that died as, as a part of these murders that they Jeez. assume – are related to this. There's not evidence, but they assume that it is. And like, that's what I want to almost hear more about too. And I also, I think the thing that you don't, and I've done a lot of googling about this after the fact as well is like, I don't, I don't understand this person's motivation. I don't understand why they did this, you know, like, yes, money, but like, why would Ernest do this? You know, he's not the main beneficiary, really. Will's going to own everything and take over everything and manipulate everything. And so, yeah, it just feels very unsatisfying. And I I don't think that it's the best way to tell the story. I would, again, there have been documentaries about very heavy topics in which I am enraptured, because they are so interesting and so well done. So, but all that to say, we're like, the anomalies here from a critical <laughs> level like there there yeah, the it's critics really good reviews, reviews yeah yeah the critics reviews are are very strong about this film and obviously it earned a bunch of
0: nominations well so- i did notice though so Rotten Tomatoes has just sort of the thumbs up thumbs down meter and it's yeah, got yeah. 94% for critics and 84% for audience and we both rated <laughs> it above a five. So technically, we're giving mm-hmm. thumbs up if we're evaluating Rotten Tomatoes. When you go mm-hmm. to IMDB, or Metacritic, and you look at sort of the overall scale, it's rated at like a seven, seven and a half. So mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. pretty good. But more in line with how we've been describing it. And again, we're not saying it's a terrible movie. It is just a chore
1: yeah and and again to your point like it didn't translate at the box office even if the critics were behind it you know what i mean it could be critically acclaimed and not well liked by by audiences
0: so well let me say three things really quick that i do like about the film because i feel like i've been mostly just critiquing the entire thing aside from a handful of the performances but yeah there were some pretty good shots there were like some beautiful shots that we've talked about. So number one thing that I, I really enjoyed the scene where the grandmother passes away mm, and they beautiful. sort of, I, I like that transition of what afterlife could be in this culture mm-hmm. of her sort of just closing and opening her eyes. And suddenly right. I think it's her parents and her husband are there to sort her of welcome ancestors her taking her home. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's beautiful. I liked that a lot. I, again, inappropriate laugh, but I think that when the, the guy that shows up at the end, who I didn't remember who he even was, but when he's talking about his adopted children and is saying, so if I adopt them and then something were to happen and they oh die, God. do I yes. inherit their, and the lawyer's like, look, I can't listen to you because you're implying that you're going to adopt and kill these kids. And he's like, well, I'm not going to do it if it's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. inappropriate laugh on that one. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty
1: horrifying. He's like, I'm not gonna do it if I don't get the money. Like, what's the yeah. point? You know? Ugh, yeah. God. Awful. And then
0: last thing that I love <laughs> about this movie are uh, Robert De Niro's Mr. Magoo goggles when he's driving in a car.
1: <laughs> that is Fantastic. That is a pretty great moment. It is a pretty great moment. He looks like a doofus for sure. <laughs> I will I will close this out on what I think is really beautiful which is the end that you see the Osage drum circle yes, that yes. exits us out of the movie. These are these are actual Osage members who opted to participate and be in this film. I love that moment and that they were included and I loved that shot. I thought it was beautiful and I think it took you back to this culture that is still very rich and and should be valued and should be appreciated. And and that I want to see more of that. You know what I mean. That was really beautiful. I also think it's really cool that Lily Gladstone is Blackfeet, and that you know they they not only again got an indigenous woman, but a an indigenous woman who grew up on a reservation and understands this type of character that. Nobody else, that nobody else can do that, right? Like nobody's yeah. going to be able to portray this in the way somebody like her can do. And um, one final note, I loved that she introduced herself at the Globes in Blackfeet, which is, you know, a threatened language and a language in which she is not even fluent as a member of her own tribe. And I thought it was just a really good appreciation of these cultures that are unfortunately being less and less seen and and lost in many ways. And I I hope it's the beginning. I hope what this film does for future work is bring more Native American stories to the forefront, gives more Native American acting and film production opportunities to these communities that have these really beautiful,
0: rich histories to share and tell us about. That's my hope. That's Yeah, that's a great takeaway. It's a, it's a big cultural step, this film, and I think mm-hmm. it has that going forward. I think it's going to end up being very important in 10, 20 years' time. It's not the most invigorating experience to watch as a film, but I do think it's culturally very significant. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, I think that's the the best possible note to end on, to be honest, so thanks for... <laughs>
0: Slugging oh, wait, I got this. a better note. The spanking scene. I was glad that this was a mobster movie <laughs> with spanking. Because we don't usually get that in a good fella's, you know. Yeah.
1: Uh yeah, another moment of levity. You know, we needed them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks for slugging through this with us. We know this was two heavy weeks back to back. So again, come back next week for our best picture selection, which either way will be quite a bit more lighthearted. It's gonna be Barbie more american fiction and we will let you know tbd which one comes to the forefront it looks like barbie's leading the way so far in the vote vote's not quite yet finalized but
0: mackenzie's not going to quit the podcast and throw a temper tantrum because we didn't do barbie
1: thanks y'all thank you guys i did threaten (laughs) them within an inch of their life on the stories i was like you better you better (laughs) all right well i appreciate you guys hopefully it stays this way but uh for now go have a drink and watch a thing. cheers Cheers!